The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike LLC. Desmond King, a look for a big return now for Iowa. Might be their last hope. Yeah, he'll run this one out for sure. Here's King finds a seam outside. Has some running room. Desmond King will cut it back inside. He's going to get caught from behind. Brought down at the 20-yard line. Said they needed a big play, and Desmond King provides it. 77-yard return. Why would you kick it to him? He comes into the game leading the Big Ten in return yardage. He's their most dynamic player on this Iowa team. Hello everyone, this is John Patchett and welcome to the football show from Hawkeye's Mike. This is our new Reporter's Notebook podcast featuring Steve Batterson, who looks back at the Hawks' loss to Wisconsin and previews this week's Penn State game. And you'll hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game, Iowa's Kirk Ferentz and Penn State's James Franklin. We'll also listen to some of what Iowa's Greg Davis and Phil Parker had to say during the Hawkeyes' bye week. This Hawkeyes' Mike podcast is one in a series of our our weekly programs, which include sports reporter Scott Docterman of thelandof10.com and Steve Batterson from the Quad City Times, plus our own Tyler Chumeland and Jack Bransgard. The Iowa-Wisconsin game highlights are courtesy of ESPN with announcers Steve Levy, Brian Greasy, and Todd McShay. We very much appreciate it and thank them. And as everyone knows by now, this was an historic week in sports, with the Chicago Cubs winning the World Series in what was literally an epic Game 7 in Cleveland. 108 years of waiting is finally over for generations of Cub fans, many of them listeners to our podcasts. So for prosperity and your listening pleasure, here are the calls of the final play in that game. We thank the Cubs, Major League Baseball, WSCR, and the great Pat Hughes, and Fox Sports and Joe Buck. Enjoy. A little bouncer slowly toward Bryant. He will glove it and throw to Rizzo. It's in time. And the Chicago Cubs win the World Series. The Cubs come pouring out of the dugout, jumping up and down like a bunch of delirious 10-year-olds. The Cubs have done it. The longest drought in the history of American sports is over and the celebration begins. Here's the 0-1. This is going to be a tough play. Bryant, the Cubs win the World Series! Bryant makes the play! It's over! And the Cubs have finally won it all! 8-7 and 10! In the bag. The fat lady has left the building. Hawkeye's mic programs are brought to you in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer. One application lasts all day. Try the hand sanitizer used by the Iowa Hawkeyes. And remember, the best defense is Prefence. And by TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, building strong and safe in the Midwest for over 50 years. The
The Iowa Hawkeyes travel to University Park, Pennsylvania to resume their series with the Penn State Nittany Lions this Saturday in a November night game, something that never used to occur in the Big Ten. Iowa will be the clear underdog in what is being called an informal whiteout at Beaver Stadium, which will be filled with a raucous crowd of more than 106,000 fans. Iowa is 5-3 and three overall, 3-2 three and two in conference play, and barring a set of miracles, will not be able to defend its Big Ten West title. The Hawkeyes face a daunting schedule in November, hosting ranked Michigan and Nebraska teams after this contest on Saturday, then traveling to Illinois. Iowa is coming off of its bye week after suffering a home loss and the Heartland Trophy to rival Wisconsin. Penn State, on the other hand, has seen a resurgence after early season struggles and now sits at 6-2, and 4-1 in the Big Ten. It is tied for second in the East Division, and it holds the tiebreaker over Ohio State. The Nittany Lions are on a four-game win streak, having defeated the Buckeyes in overtime, as well as Minnesota, Purdue, and Maryland. Their only conference loss was to Michigan. Penn State also lost a non-conference game at Pitt. The Nittany Lions have once again appeared in the national rankings, 12th in the college football playoff poll, 20th by AP, 23rd in the coaches poll. But Iowa has won the last four meetings when Penn State was ranked, 2002, 2008, 2009, and 2010. This is the 26th game in a close series that has often featured tight games and thrilling finishes. Penn State has a 13-12 and 12 advantage overall and won the last two games. Prior to that, Iowa had won three straight, and the Hawkeyes also had a five-game winning streak from 2000 to 2004. The Hawkeyes have won seven of the last ten, and they are 9-7 and seven over PSU since the Nittany Lions joined the Big Ten Conference. The Hawkeyes hold a 7-5 and five record in games played at Beaver Stadium. The two teams haven't played since 2012 due to conference expansion and realignment. Iowa lost that contest at Kinnick Stadium 38-14. This is the Hawkeyes' first trip to Beaver Stadium since 2011. The Hawkeyes have won a school record nine straight road games, which is tied for the second longest active streak in the nation. Alabama has won 10 in a row on the road. Winning the 10th straight for Iowa will certainly be a tall chore. Head coach Kirk Ferentz is the dean of the Big Ten coaches in his 18th year at Iowa with a record of 132-90, and and he is seventh in the conference in overall coaching victories and in Big Ten wins. Penn State head coach James Franklin is in his third season at State College with a record of 20-14. and Prior to that, he served as head coach at Vanderbilt for three years. This game will be televised by the Big Ten Network with announcers Kevin Kugler, Matt Millen, who's a Penn State alum, and Lisa Byington, as always Gary Dolphin and Ed Podolak will handle the call on the Hawkeyes radio network, and the game can also be heard on satellite radio, XM Channel 195 and Sirius 135. After Saturday night's game, Iowa returns to Kinnick Stadium to host the Michigan Wolverines under the lights next Saturday. Penn State goes on the road to face a resurgent Indiana team. Postgame show is brought to you by... Christ, I can't find it. The hell with it. Third and goal. Flemings. Trying to leave better. Football comes out. It's recovered by Iowa. Desmond King. Receiving across the goal line. Well, this crowd at Kinnick Stadium doesn't think he did. It's coming out before oh, yeah. he crosses the goal line. Great look from our sky cam. Jewel got the pop and knocked it free. And then King would recover in the end zone. If you extend that ball as a, as a running back, you better make sure it crosses the plane because the odds are that it's going to come out because everybody's punching at that football. <laughs> 
Let's hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game. First up, Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz, who talks about the importance of the bye week for his team, both physically and mentally. I think chance just to, to you know step away a little bit, and that, that's really important. Uh, it's certainly important in anything you do. You know, if you're if you're working hard at something, it's competitive. You know, academically, whatever it may be, it's good to step back a little bit and just get some air. And I think it's especially important right now. You know, the way college football is. You know, it used to be they had the month of or the week, excuse me, of Thanksgiving, which I thought was a really healthy break for everybody. Get a chance, you know, chance to go home and uh, just get away from football, get away from school for a week. They didn't have that luxury. Classes weren't canceled last week, so our guys had to be on campus, obviously. But it gave them a chance to get away from uh, football a little bit and just kind of get their houses in order socially, academically, and then hopefully, uh, you know, come back. And it didn't look great on Sunday. I can promise you, it looked like we had three weeks off instead of a couple days. But fell back in line yesterday and looked more like a football team. So I, I just think that separation is really important. And uh, I've never coached a, a winter sport, but I got to think that's important in those sports, maybe more so because their seasons are so long. So I think just that chance to step back is, is good for everybody and it's good for the coaches too. Not that we step back totally, but a little focus on recruiting maybe instead of just football. So that's, that's probably a healthy break. Ference was asked about the history of his teams playing well when they are underdogs, as is the case this Saturday at Penn State. I hope that's the case again. I uh, hope we don't break history if that is the case. But you know, I'd rather be undefeated. We were last year. That was more fun. But we're not right now. We're five and three. But, uh, you know, the, the the bottom line is that there's still four games left to play. That, that's what it gets down to. And really, it's, it's uh, what we do on every day here that's going to define this season for us. So at the end of the day, you know, we'll, we'll evaluate the team based on, you know, what we did effort-wise, how we improved, those types of things. Those are the things that are really important to us as coaches. And we have an opportunity right now this this coming month. That's exciting. Unbeknownst to the experts, many of the experts I heard this past out of season, you know, our schedule looks a little bit more challenging than it did back in July. Uh, I heard a lot of judgment about how easy our schedule is. I think we got three ranked teams on the schedule right now, plus an away game. So, but that's great. I mean, it's, it's like going into Penn State. I mean, this is not going to be easy. It's going to be a whiteout, unofficial whiteout, 110,000 or whatever they put in there. It's going to be loud, crazy, all that stuff. But, you know, you know, like college football, that's what you, you know, I mean, what more can you ask for to go into a good environment? That's one of the neat things about our conference, too. There's so many uh, really good environments to play in that are challenging and tough. And, you know, so it gives you a good test to, you know, measure yourself and measure the team by. Kirk was asked how important winning in the last month of the regular season and his team's record is when it comes to recruiting. Yeah, I'm not saying I'm not focused on recruiting right now because you, you can't ever back off of that, but I want to win for our football team. You know, that's, that's you know, just like every other coach. You want your players to, to experience success, feel good about themselves. And, you know, it's not that you can't feel good about yourself if you don't win, but I can tell you this, you feel a lot better when you do win. Even if you played bad, you still feel good. So uh, that that's the most important thing we're focused on right now is just making the most out of, you know, you know, you only get, our seniors only get this season. This is it for them. And that that's the most important thing. And this 2016 team gets one crack at it. So yeah, that, that that's really what's paramount in my thinking. The better you do, sure, it helps recruiting, no question. But you know, the most important thing right now, this, this is the one time of year we're really focused on our team. As crazy as our lives are, where we're recruiting all the time, uh, most of the time, not all the time, we're recruiting 10th graders, 9th graders, all this stuff, you know, this, this is the one time. That's the great thing about being on the practice field. You're just out there with your team, no cell phones or any of that stuff, you know, and it's, it's really a good, I mean, that, that's, that's what you enjoy in sports. So, you know, the rest of our, our life has been turned upside down, but at least this is the, the experience that you really love for and really enjoy and, you know, the relationships, all that stuff with guys that you're actually working with, not, not projected to be working with. So that, that's the fun of it all. And that, that's really what's the, the core of this whole thing.
Ferentz revealed during the bye week that his coaching staff is now using analytics to help prepare the team for upcoming games. Yeah, we actually listened to a presentation uh, last spring and I uh, thought it was really beneficial. Uh, it's really affordable, which is interesting. And I'm sure you could spend as much or as little, but uh, basically the, the company came in, presented to us. We were really impressed with them and, and it really has been beneficial. It's probably my least favorite meeting of the week, quite frankly. It usually lasts 30 to 45 minutes and uh, we'll review you know, anywhere from six to 12, 15 cases from the weekend prior. We've been in a couple of those where just, you know, you look at all the different ways to look at situations. There's several things, you know, going for two, all those kinds of things. When do you do it? How to bleed the clock at the end of the game, etc. But yeah, a lot of them are just uh, situations like we were in the other day. Not necessarily all two minute, but, you know, critical situations in the game, you know, critical decisions you have to make and, you know, the thought process that ought to go into it. And then you have have to uh, uh, transfer those things to your given situation, your given team, all those kinds of things. But it's, it's really been good really thought-provoking and something I'm glad we, we took time to invest in. In years past, and I've coached for quite a while, in years past, you've never spent as much time thinking about that. You, you, more, you do more so in the out of season. But the nice thing, and these are current examples, you know, that usually are from the week before, and there's it's amazing how many things come up during the course of a, just one Saturday. So it's just continual. It's, it's a way to stay sharp, you know, really hone your skills a little bit. And everything's open to interpretation, obviously, but it really uh, causes, provokes for a great, great discussion, great banner back and forth and, and then we'll always usually try to turn it whatever the situation is you know how would we look at it based on our football team Iowa was reportedly in discussions late last year and into the spring with Striver Labs in Palo Alto California about the possibility of bringing Striver's virtual reality practice system to the Hawkeyes Striver system is now being used by many NFL teams and FBS schools after being employed first by Stanford I asked Kirk where things stand with virtual reality and I that's not as uh, price friendly as uh, uh, the other one. I can tell you that it's fascinating stuff. My, my first response would be, you know, you never really hang out, but but um, boy, the. the to make it really workable and practical in a college environment, I think it's a little bit more challenging. Quite frankly, you know, just give you a real honest response, I think it'd, it'd probably be more for like, you know, bells and whistles and, you know, hey, we do this. So that looks pretty flashy for prospects, that type of thing. But the practicality of it, I'm, I'm not sure it's really the bang for your buck is as good as, whereas this, this stuff is, you know, the, the players aren't involved. But anytime you involve players, it's it's really, you know, our, our time demands, you know, it's just, it's really a tough battle that way. You could argue in the in the Odyssey or the Odyssey's and you could do things. Might be some advantages there. We probably need to do some more research talking to folks about that. But, you know, I've always believed this. You know, film is a, a great aid. Uh, I don't know if you caught the uh, post game Monday night, the uh, Denver game. Uh, Tlaib. Woodson asked Tlaib, you know, what's your secret? He said it's in the tape. And that, that's been that way forever. So virtual reality tape versus, you know, tape like we all watch. You know, maybe we make that argument. But to me, the two things are it's in the tape and it's also in the doing. And that's, you only get so many chances to do. So that's, that's the biggest thing. But I'm, I'm not poo-pooing it. You know, I just, I'd have to know more about it, but it's fascinating stuff. Iowa is coming off its bye week, and that couldn't have come at a better time for the Hawkeyes. Iowa's coordinators met with the media. Here's some of what they had to say. Greg Davis was asked if his starting quarterback, C.J. Beathard, has regressed this season compared to his outstanding play in 2015. No, I, I think it's easy to look and just compare numbers. 
you know, I think I think we all can be guilty of that, even coaches as well. Just you know, looking at at numbers from this year to last year. And again, I I, I go back. You know, he he came in and grew up with Tavon and Henry and and uh, Jacob Hillier. You know, those guys. I mean, how many balls did he, he throw on Henry's back shoulder that Henry turned around and made a, a great play? It's because they had done it. You know, a, a thousand times. You know, the thing that CJ has is done. Uh, or continues to do that really doesn't get much credit is a lot of times when we have an explosive run, you know, he's changed a play and got us into, you know, a better situation. You know, I'm, I'm disappointed for him uh, that his passing numbers are not greater because he is, he is busting his tail and he's studying and he's, he's trying to get us in the, in the right play. And so that part we're very pleased with. But the numbers have not been as good. Obviously, he's uh, you know he's he's playing hard and and, and playing well. And, and uh, I mean we all we all miss some balls. I mean you see some balls that you wish. But he did the same thing last year. Iowa defensive coordinator Phil Parker provides an extremely thoughtful and old school discussion about the issues surrounding targeting and how defenses are being allowed to play in today's game and how that impacts college football. Uh, you know. It's really, uh, it's hard because the game of football has really changed and it's going to come pretty soon to flag football, I think, at, at times. And it's, it's a shame. It's kind of going away. And hopefully that uh, I won't be around by that time. But uh, that, that was, you know, some guys are really trying to protect guys, but some good hits are good hits. The game is a violent game. We all know it before we get here. As soon as we walk on and get into the, uh, into the field, everybody knows that we're playing tackle football. Okay, and soon as you tell me there's a defenseless player on the field, how come he doesn't know that we're playing the game of football? I mean, we're allowing receivers downfield to catch balls uncontested, getting hit. If you blow on them, touch them, you're going to get a flag. You know, anything that you do to anybody, you have to be aware. You have to be alert. You don't walk down the street, you know, in, in Chicago without understanding that there's cars going down there that you, it's dangerous on the, on the highway, isn't it? You ever been to Chicago at 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock on a Friday? It'd be nice to go, you know, that's dangerous, right? The same thing with football. F- football is a violent game. And until guys understand that you're going to take a hit, then it might not be with all these points and these guys going and catching these balls over here think that, hey, you guys can't hit me. I can catch the ball free. It's a little bit different. Before, you guys used to say, whoa, I'm going to back off of that. The receiver do it. Now it's the defensive guys backing off of it. And it has nothing to do with, I mean, it's, uh, it's a violent game. Everybody knows it. They sign up for it. I wish they would kind of look over that. Now, d- believe me, I, I don't want these guys to get hurt and injured, but they should have some responsibility that, hey, you might get hit because you are playing football. So that's the concern for me. Next, we hear from Penn State head coach James Franklin, who talks about his dynamic starting quarterback, Trace McSorley, and McSorley's progress over the season. I, I think it's most probably most likely you know consistency um, and confidence. Obviously, we saw traits in him that we thought in the recruiting process uh, fit, would fit well here at Penn State. Um, and then obviously what we saw in practice, he displayed those types of traits, consistent consistency in practice, um, understanding the offense, how to get us 
in and out of the right plays, had some playmaking ability, uh, protecting the football, those types of things, and, and we kept all those statistics. And, and really, that's who he's been. He's done a much better job of protecting the ball. You know, when it comes to ball security, in terms of carrying the ball in the pocket and things like that, which has I think been really important for us. He's about on schedule. Uh, I still think there's a lot of areas that that he can improve, and and we'll be saying that when when he's a senior as well. But um, overall, you know, he's he's on schedule, and, and we've been very pleased with him. Not only what he's doing on the field, but things that you guys don't see behind the scenes, his leadership, his approach, his demeanor, you know, those types of things. Franklin was asked about how, given the nature of his offense, Penn State has been able to cut down significantly on turnovers in the last four games and whether that is sustainable going forward. Uh, we, we emphasize it. You know, um, I think I've told you guys before, uh, I think we work ball security more than any program that I've been a part of. And I think probably most of our coaching staff, we, we work ball security more than, than any place I've ever been. We do it every single day in a drill that that's the entire focus where a lot of people obviously you know, make it a priority all practice. And we do that as well. But we actually, every single day, we do ball security. So I think that's something that's very, very important for us. No different than we do tackling drills every single day, because those two things are just so important to your success. So yeah, we, we, we think it's sustainable. This is really the model of how we want to play. We want to protect the football. We want to play great defense. We want to be explosive. We want to eliminate explosive plays on defense. And then we want to be able to make sure that special teams are emphasized as well, that, you know, we're not just giving it lip service that all three uh, phases of offense, defense, and special teams have a chance to factor in our success week in and week out. So yeah, um, this is this is the model. This is, this is how we want to play uh, consistently. And Franklin was asked what the differences are for his team, the way it's playing now as compared to its struggles earlier in the season. You know, again, I, I've been saying it for, for three years. I feel like, you know, we have been taking steps, positive steps for three years. Did it in year one, did it in year two, we did it in year three, and it just kind of keeps progressing. The offseason, the depth, um, the maturity. So to be honest with you, I think it's just the experience that our guys are gaining, the confidence that they're gaining in, in having success, the support that we're getting from our fan base, the, the positive support that we're getting from our fan base, and the environment that we've had at home. All these things play a part in it. You know, For, for us to, to build the program that, that we want to build, it's got to be everybody. It's our coaches and players. It's the fan, fans. It's the media. It's everybody. It, it really is. It's it's the community. It's all those things. So I, I don't think it's one moment or one thing or one game. It's just been kind of the process and sticking to our plan, believing in one another and, and building trust and, and relationships and, and identity, which I think is, is really what we've created in year three is is an identity that maybe is different than than what it's been in the past. And that's been that's you know been our our, uh, our challenge, you know, for three years, building that identity and, and, and embracing it and having fun with it. They're going to let him kick this one. Make him think about it. Ooh, in your eye. Rocios, good from 47 and at the half. It's a one-point game. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy. <laughs> How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer protects your hands all day. Stays on. Up to 10 washings. Moisturizes. Alcohol-free. And safe for the kids. So go ahead. Touch anything and everything. Ew, a toilet. Prefins. Keep your hands germ-free all day. 
Time now for our Reporter's Notebook segment. This week with Steve Batterson. You can read Steve's articles in the Quad City Times and online at qctimes.com. You can also follow Steve on Twitter at sbat79. Steve looks back at the Wisconsin game, previews this Saturday's Penn State contest, and talks Big Ten. Steve, as usual, before we turn our attention to the Iowa game against Penn State, let's take a look back. It seems ages ago, even though it's only been a couple of weeks with Iowa's bye week, but it was a tough, hard-fought game against Wisconsin, and the Badgers ultimately prevailed in a game that, for all practical purposes, barring some combination of miracles, uh, took Iowa out of the hunt for the Big Ten West title. Yeah, certainly a disappointing day for Iowa. It was a struggle from from the start offensively against the Badgers. And, uh, you're, you're not going to beat a Wisconsin team with three field goals, and, and you know, the Hawkeyes uh, really struggled to get into the red zone even against Wisconsin, and, and that uh, ultimately proved to be their downfall. You know, game that was there, there were certainly possibilities. Iowa's defense continued to make good progress, I thought. Uh, did a decent job of, of holding down Corey Clement and, and that Wisconsin offense, but it just wasn't quite enough, and, and uh, you know, it was a game that Wisconsin had to win, too, following uh, you know their their early season, uh, early Big Ten season losses. It was one that uh, they needed, and, and they were able to come to Kinnick and, and get it. Well, now looking ahead to this Saturday's game, you've got Iowa traveling to Penn State. They've been off of each other's schedules here for a couple of years after Big Ten expansion and realignment. It's a game where Iowa has another chance after retooling a bit, especially on offense during the bye week, and some talk there about some different things they might be doing, to make a statement, because these last four games couldn't be much more difficult for the Hawkeyes, and they're facing uh, three of the four, are ranked, and if Iowa has any hopes of really a, a decent bowl game, let alone that sliver of a chance to defend the Big Ten title, they have to have a solid performance at Penn State. Yeah, that, that's where it all starts. It's it's a uh, tough road ahead here with you know Michigan coming to Kinnick and Nebraska coming to Kinnick and, and a road trip to an Illinois team that will probably have its quarterback back by the time the uh, Hawkeyes get to Champaign. Wes Lund's been out for a few weeks and uh, it sounds like he's on the mend as well. So it's uh, it's a tough kind of scenario. Uh, and it, but it does start at Penn State and and it starts with uh, you know an opponent that uh, is kind of on a roll itself. They've they've uh, won their last four games after a 2-2 two two start that had some people questioning whether James Franklin was kind of the right guy to lead that program, but uh, I think they've answered the question here over the past month. Uh, you know, a 24-21 win at, at home against Ohio State a couple of weeks ago certainly helped to answer that, and they follow that up with uh, a pretty commanding victory at Purdue after a very slow start last week. Uh, so the Nittany Lions are coming in with some momentum. Uh, it'll be another night situation for Iowa. Uh, and in Penn State, uh, you know, they're expecting another very electric atmosphere, and uh, uh, that only adds to the challenges Hawkeye team faces. Let's look a little bit at Iowa's offense here. They've really struggled to have consistency and production, for that matter, in the Big Ten games. They've they've scored 14 points or less in three of the Big Ten games so far. The offense is a, especially a focus of attention as it continues to struggle. Bethard, regardless of what Ference and Greg Davis have said, does not look comfortable 
back there. Hasn't established apparently a sufficient rapport with more than one of his wide receivers. And it's that particular, that offensive struggle, looking to have somebody else step up, whether it's Germanic Smith, Shield, Avante Young has moved into the number two slot there. Kittle's back from injury, apparently, so that's good. Noah Fant played a decent game there at Wisconsin, but Iowa's going to not, is going to need a more balanced approach in its passing offense, and it's going to need to win at Penn State some big pass plays, not the three, four, five yard stuff that Greg Davis often calls. Yeah, and it seems to be what, you know, they're comfortable in calling right now, and, and you know, they continue to look for, for something to happen out on the edge, and it just hasn't been there yet. We've seen some balls dropped. You know, the guys who do have a little quickness haven't had the consistency in terms of catching the football so far. You know, whether it be, uh, you know, uh, Devonta Young getting a chance maybe as a target at some point here this week or, or, you know, simply uh, maybe uh, a little more consistency or execution in in performance by Germanic Smith or uh, Jay Shield. Those guys, uh, you know, this is a time of the year where where you would expect those players to start to uh, maybe catch on a little bit. And it's taken longer than everybody has anticipated. I think that probably includes the coaches and, and, and even C.J. Beathard. But, uh, you know, this the offense has become a little bit too predictable. Short passing game is uh, is where the comfort zone certainly is at right now. But that's not getting Iowa down the field the way it needs to get down the field. It's, it's forcing drives to, to include way too many plays. And, and uh, the Hawkeyes certainly have quality backs in Wadley and Daniels. But they need that complementary piece to kind of move the chain and make some distance over a short period of time. And that's been hard to come by. Well, one piece of good news out of the bye week is that the offensive line appears to be back to normal. That is a reshuffled version of normal. It looks like all of the starters there before the Wisconsin game are going to be back in place for this one. That's going to be really important because Penn State comes in a very aggressive style of defense and particularly effective in sacking opposing quarterbacks and tackles for loss. So the offensive line is going to have to protect Tech Bethard especially important this Saturday. Boone Myers was playing at a pretty high level when he when he went down, and and uh, you know I think that's uh, you know that's just the latest in a series of, uh, of things that the Hawkeyes have had to deal with. It's, you know some of that's expected. It's football, but uh, you know it's one of those things that uh, there's no question that I think finding some stability on uh, across that front five and and having Kittle back on the field is uh, for both his pass catching and, and blocking ability. I think are, are certainly things that. Uh, can only help Iowa, and it's you're right. This Penn State defense is is pretty opportunistic. I mean, they've they've got 68 uh, tackles for a loss and, and 23 sacks on the season, and uh, they're going to come after the Hawkeyes. There's no question about that. Uh, you know, they've dealt with kind of their own little thing. I mean, they played their first three Big Ten games without any of the three linebackers who started the season as starters. Two of those guys are back, so they've found a little bit of stability. The third one is out for for the rest of the year, but. Uh, you know, I, I think what we've seen the last couple of weeks from them is some some growth that uh, probably should concern Iowa a little bit. It looks like uh, the, the Nittany Lion defense has kind of hit their hit their stride. Now the sacks issue, Penn State's second in the Big Ten in sacks per game, while Iowa is 12th in allowing sacks per game. So that's something to really keep a close eye on Saturday. Now the real tease we got, 
at Tuesday's press conference, following the bye week press conferences, where Greg Davis hinted that there might be some uh, little tweaks to the offensive formations, and specifically looking at maybe Akram Wadley and LaShawn Daniels in the backfield at the same time. Well, Daniels talked about that, as did Beathard Tuesday, and then Kirk kind of poo-pooed it and sort of made fun of it. It's like actually getting some real news from the players as opposed to what's usually the case there. But are we going to see that? And if so, how often? Well, I, I think we may see it. Uh, how often, I think, is a big question. Everybody seemed to kind of uh, point in the direction of that, you know, there may be two or three plays that they've installed that, that uh, would feature both of those guys in the, on the field at the same time. Uh, Wadley indicated that he was out on the slot. And, uh, uh, you know, I think we'll see it when the coaches are comfortable enough that that the players can execute it when it's called. And, uh, you know, that tends to be the way those things work. And, you know, it's not the type of thing I think we're going to see, you know, 10 times on, on, on Saturday night. I think it's the, it's the kind of thing that uh, will be used. And, 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 frankly, the biggest thing it's going to do is get another playmaker on the field, which is not a bad thing when you have an offense that is struggling. And I think it will also, uh, certainly down the road, your defense is something else to kind of worry about and prepare for, which I think uh, probably opens some things up not only for, for those guys, but also for some of the other playmakers in the Iowa offense. Well, you can bet Penn State's going to sell out to stop the run and force Iowa to pass, and until the Hawkeyes do something to make the opponents respect the passing game, just like we saw in the Wisconsin game, they're going to have problems. Now, another issue that's popped up for Iowa's offense uh, in the last four games is they're being outscored badly in the second half, 67-38. to Second half scoring and second half scoring defense has been a strength of the Penn State. Team. Yeah, absolutely. You know, polar opposites here. I think Penn State's outscored its opponents something like 102 to 39 or 29, something like that, in in the second half of its last four games. And uh, you know, they're delivering a pretty good punch right after the break. You know, some some of those numbers were skewed a little bit by what transpired at Purdue last week. It was a 17-17 game at halftime, and uh, it ended up being a 62 to 20-24 game. Uh, Penn State went away from uh, a lot of uh, trying to kind of give you know, take what Purdue was giving it. The, the Boilermakers were giving up the short pass, and, and and Penn State was trying to work that part of the game. wasn't having a great deal of success, and they kind of junked that at the half and just decided to come out and run it down the Boilers' throat, and that worked pretty well. Uh, you know, it, it was a type of, of, of medicine they needed at that point. But uh, this is a this is a team that uh, has finished strong. Uh, they're certainly going to be confident if they're put into a position where the game is close late. Uh, there's no question that uh, they will probably will be the, be the more confident team on the field at that juncture, just simply because they've been there before. I think some of the stats for Penn State's defense have been skewed, as you mentioned, due to their linebacker injuries early on, and they seem to be playing much better in that regard here the last two or three games. But the Nittany Lions have been giving up an average of 183 rushing yards per game. Now, Iowa's offense is averaging 168 yards on the ground overall, but that would seem to be a real opportunity, but still, they're going to have to pass effect now, one real plus for the Hawkeyes has been success in the red zone. They're first in the Big Ten and 12th in the FBS overall, converting on 93% of their trips inside the red zone, and 19 of those uh, 23 scores have been touchdowns. Yeah, and that continues to be a good thing. Now, the issue was getting it there against Wisconsin, and you know, as they face some of the better defenses that they're going to see, uh, Michigan next week.
week we'll, we'll bring another pretty salty defense down. It, it's one of those things that uh, you have to put yourself in a position to score when you get there. And, and when Iowa has been able to move the ball deep, they have been able to produce. And, I, I you know, that's probably the one bright spot in, in a lot of areas for, for this offense at this point. But you're right. They will be tested by that defense. There's no question about it this week. Uh, you know, you got guys like Garrett Sickles who, who you know, he, he's lived in, in backfields. And, and so CJ's going to have to get rid of the ball quickly. He's going to have to, uh, you know, execute the offense at a much higher tempo and pace than what Iowa has done so to this point. You mentioned Sickles. Their other defensive end is pretty good, too. Evan Schwan and James Franklin, the Penn State head coach, talked Tuesday in his press conference about he thought the most critical matchup in this game was going to be the play of Iowa's offensive line versus the play of Penn State's defensive line and the physicality and who can control that situation in that regard. Penn State also has a really good free safety in Marcus Allen, who's the leading tackler on the team. Yes, absolutely. And Malik Golden, his, his, his counterpart back there as well, is, is pretty solid too. So they've got bodies. Uh, you know, Penn State has traditionally been a you know a, a defensively built football team, and that really hasn't changed under James Franklin. They they, they lost three uh, linemen to the NFL a, a year ago. Uh, there have been some growing pains this season, and, and I think uh, you know what we've seen is a team that's kind of taken some progress. Uh, you know, and, and now with Brandon Bell back and, and Jason Kabinda back at the linebacker spots, uh, you know that's made a difference too, and and they are uh, you know probably benefiting in some ways by having to get some other guys some experience while those guys were out. So they've emerged from this thing a deeper defense. Uh, they helped Purdue to 46 yards rushing last week, uh, which is the, the identical number that Iowa held to Boilermakers to a, uh, a couple of weeks ago over at West Lafayette. So uh, these teams have a few things in common, and and uh, I think James Franklin is right. That, you know this thing is going to be decided up front. It's whoever can get the most consistent to play, whether it be uh, Iowa's offensive line, Penn State's defensive line, or you could flip the equation, that's probably going to determine the outcome of this thing. Their pass defense, Penn State's, has been opportunistic, too. They have eight picks on the season. Bethard's only thrown four, so that'll be another thing to keep an eye on Saturday. Yeah, it certainly will be. You know, John Reed has, has six breakups. He, he's got a pick as well. They've got uh, they've got talent, and you know, James Franklin has done a, a terrific job of recruiting, given the circumstances he was presented with. And, you know, not only have they brought talent in, but they've also gotten some walk-ons to really, uh, not unlike Iowa, to, to develop and, and to contribute at a pretty high level. And, uh, you know, this is a team, uh, that if they can get through this week, their schedule beyond Saturday and, and Iowa is uh, fairly manageable. They go to Indiana, which will be a test, but then they finish up with Rutgers and, and Michigan State. And, uh, you know, there, there's talk of, of Rose Bowl births and, and that type of thing in, in State College as well. And But Part of that equation is they have to get through the Hawkeyes. After this break, Steve and I look at the matchup between Iowa's defense and Penn State's offense, special teams, and the Big Ten. So here you get the field goal attempt now. Now you want a field goal and then onside kick and try to get back down in position, take a couple other shots at the end zone. Here's Keith Duncan, third try, and that is good from 25. Back to a one-score game, but there's 43 seconds left. Iowa has no timeouts, and they're kicking off.
Are you or your local Iowa company looking for a new roof or sheet metal work? TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal specializes in low slope commercial and industrial roofing and sheet metal. Building strong and safe in the Midwest for over 50 years, TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, located in Ely, Iowa, just south of Cedar Rapids, provides strong, expert customer service and the best quality fit for you, their customer. For a free estimate, give TNK a call at 319-848-4191 or toll free at 1-800-383-7663. You can also visit their brand new website at tkroofing.com. TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, your home for all your low slope roofing systems. Give them a call today. Again, 319 848 4191 or toll free at 1 800 383 7663. Let's flip the coin here. Look at Iowa's defense versus Penn State's offense. The key for the Hawkeyes in this game, and the players talked about it, Kirk talked about it. Pick one word, it's contain. Penn State has a, a new offensive coordinator running that spread offense. They've had more than 500 yards twice this season against Purdue and Maryland. They've also scored 30 or more points five times this season, and they are especially dangerous on the edges. And one Hawkeye after another the other day talked about the need to absolutely keep them focused on the middle of the field. And, uh, you know, that will be where Iowa's challenge starts. It puts a lot of pressure on the read that the uh, defensive ends are making. And, and certainly uh, Parker Hesse and and uh, Matt Nelson, uh, you know, they're going to have their hands full. And uh, the consistency in their performance will, will have a lot to do with, with where Iowa finds itself late Saturday night. We mentioned earlier the terrific second-half production that Penn State has had offensively. The last four, and these stats are pretty eye-popping, really. The last four games, they've outscored their opponents in the second half, 102-29. to And they are 4-0 in those games. Interesting, they've scored an average of 20.13 points per game in the second half, which is seventh nationally, and 11.25 points per game in the fourth quarter, which is eighth nationally. It's, it's a team that, um, you know, certainly has finished strong. I think that stuff kind of feeds off itself. Once you have, a, have an opportunity to do that and, and find a way to win a game, you know, I think it uh, it puts a team, uh, you develop kind of a, a level of confidence that certainly, I think, helps, and, and uh, I think, you know, the byproduct of that is shown certainly in, in the way this Penn State team has competed and, and uh, you know, helped itself uh, in a lot of ways uh, in the second half of game. Josie Jewell continues to lead the Hawkeyes in tackling. He's second in the Big Ten overall. He's 77 on the season. Jaleel Johnson had a great game against Wisconsin, and he's now fourth in the Big Ten in sacks. Those guys are both going to be critical, obviously as well as Desmond King when they're staring across the line of scrimmage at sophomore quarterback Trace McSorley, a true dual threat quarterback. 55% of his passes he's completing. His last three games, he's run for 217 yards and had three rushing touchdowns. And on the season, he's had 12 passing touchdowns against just three picks. Yeah, he's not the biggest kid in the world. He's only six foot tall. But uh, I was going to have to be aware of where he's at and, and what he's up to at at virtually every moment in that game. You know, that, it's kind of the pick your poison in, in, in the Penn State offense. You look at his passing numbers, and, and they're a little deceptive. I mean, he's only completed 55% of his passes. And, and James Franklin talked a little bit this week about how he would like to see those numbers come up about 10 points over over time. But uh, he has some terrific receivers. They have some good quickness on the edge. You know, they're going to typically line up in a, 
in a three three receiver one back set, and you know they've got a great running back in in Saquon Barkley, who is uh, you know leading the Big Ten in rushing right now. But they've certainly got a lot more weapons than that. And McSorley, uh, his ability to run the football is is creating some problems, and and it certainly uh, is one of those things that uh, only adds to uh, their ability to to put some points up. Yeah, Barkley's also the leading uh, Big Ten scorer. He has eleven touchdowns that he's scored. One of those was a reception of a passing touchdown. He's also passed for a touchdown. He's gotten better as the season's gone along, been really strong the last three games. And his real key there, if you look at his stats, and we talk about this in regard to Akram Wadley too, Barkley's averaging six yards a run. Yeah, uh, you know, he enters this game with uh, 200-yard rushing performances in, in two of his last three games. The one that he didn't get to that level, he ran for 99 yards against Ohio State, which was a game high in that matchup. So, you know, this is a is a sophomore, true sophomore. He rushed for a thousand yards last season as a true freshman. You know, he enters the, the game uh, on Saturday averaging 111 yards per game on the ground. He, he needs 112 to get to 1,000 for this season uh, uh, this year. So, uh, you know, a number to kind of keep an eye on against Iowa. But, uh, you know, he, he's got that blend of, of power and strength and quickness that, that uh, some of the terrific backs have. And, you know, he can beat you a lot of ways. And uh, Kirk Ferentz spoke very highly of him the other day and, and uh, with with good reason. This, this kid's a real deal. You mentioned they're very productive receivers. They have deep threats. Wide receiver Chris Godwin's their leading receiver. He's got five touchdowns, 30 catches. He averages 14.1 yards per catch. There's also Deshaun Hamilton. And then their tight end has been terrific this year and he's their second leading receiver, Mike Jasecki. Yeah, and, and you're right about that long ball threat. That, that's something that um, you know has helped Penn State from the start to the finish this so far this season. McSorley has uh, completed 20 pass plays of, of 30 or more yards this season. Only there, there are only five other quarterbacks at the FBS level who've done that. He's tied for for six with with Baker Mayfield of Oklahoma. So uh, this kid's got uh, got the ability to get the ball out deep to uh, to some backs who have some quickness to to make some big plays, and and that includes uh, you know that includes Gasecki at the tight end position. He's, he's uh, one of those guys that has a uh, you know he. He's one of three tight ends in the country with with a couple of receptions of at least 50 yards this season. So the big play is something that I was going to have to guard against this week. The Nittany Lions have been prone a little bit to fumbling. They fumbled 18 times, lost nine compared to Iowa's 10. They've only lost one. And that, incidentally, for the Hawkeyes, that's tied for first in the nation in terms of lost fumbles. But when you look at this matchup overall here between Iowa's defense, Penn State's offense, there were way too many missed tackles in that Wisconsin game. And quite a few of them by the safeties, which continues to be an issue for Iowa. And given the deep threats that Penn State has at receiver, that's going to be a critical point in this game, too. Yeah, certainly mistakes there this week. Uh, you know, it's been a heavy dose of fundamentals for the past two weeks for those guys. But uh, because mistakes this week will lead to six and, and uh, something that Iowa can't uh, can't afford, especially with the offense, uh, you know, being a little wobbly still at this point in the season, you can't be giving away points with with mistakes on the defensive side of the ball so yeah that that's probably one of those matchups that really I think probably as much as what's going to transpire in the lines that that's the matchup to kind of keep an eye on because if Penn State can get some production over the middle and, and deep against Iowa the Hawkeyes are, are going to be in for a long night let's take a quick look at special teams there are some interesting storylines for both teams so you start out of course with Desmond King number one in the Big Ten and kickoff returns sixth nationally he's averaging 
two yards of kickoff return. He had the 77-yarder against the Badgers a couple of weeks ago. He's also excelling at punt returns. And then you've got place kicker Ron Colosi in terms of the kickoffs. He's still first in the Big Ten in touchbacks. Nobody else is even close. Keith Duncan has been perfect in PATs and six and seven of field goals. On the other side of the coin, Penn State has excelled at special team play this season. Some really big plays in, in the Big Ten Conference, especially critical in that upset of Ohio State, block field goal, block punt. They have a 270-pound kickoff specialist named Joey Julius. That has to be the biggest in either college or the NFL, I assume. They've got a really good place kicker who's 41 of 41 in PATs, Tyler Davis, 21 of 22 field goals. And then they have a, a, a really solid punter who's on the Ray Guy Award watch list. Yeah, Blake Gilligan is, is a, a kid who stepped into that role this year, and he's averaging 41.4 punt. He's, he's put uh, he's had 39 attempts and, he, and he's dropped 14 inside the uh, inside the 20 and kicked six that have gone for 50 yards or more. So uh, it's a uh, you know there are a lot of weapons uh, that Penn State has at its disposal on special teams and you know given their issues in terms of scholarship limitations and that type of thing, uh, um, these kids are really producing and, and contributing in, in in some terrific ways. And, and you're right, Julius is is a guy that is uh, he's draw, drawn some flags as well in terms of roughing calls and personal foul type calls that have created issues in previous games. So it will be interesting to see how the Hawkeyes deal with him. And, uh, you know, certainly I think you don't want to put Tyler Davis in a position where he's got a chance to to beat you with his foot. He's been awfully consistent. They haven't really tested him long. His longest uh, attempts this season have been from 40 yards. He hit two of those, but uh, but they certainly, uh, you know, his consistency has been something that uh, has been unquestioned. There was an interesting story this week that attributed a significant amount of Penn State's improvement and success to field position. They're 13th in the nation in terms of starting field position. This is not something you know we typically focus on or anybody else that I've seen for that matter. But And they've also been very effective in putting their opponents in less advantageous field position to start drives. And one of the results of that has been that 36% of their possessions this season have gotten into the red zone, and they're averaging 10 points more per game. Now, all of that being said, Iowa has had one of its strengths this year being Desmond King putting it in good field position to start drives. So that'll be something else to watch Saturday. That could be pretty interesting. Absolutely. There, there's no question about it. You know, we, we keep waiting for, for King to, to break one at some point and, and take it into the end zone. And he certainly has shown the ability to do so, you know, and certainly he had a couple of terrific runbacks against Wisconsin. And, you know, he just continues to get more and more comfortable there. Uh, the interesting thing on the Iowa depth chart this week, Devonte Young is now listed as King's backup. So it'll be interesting to kind of see if, if uh, the freshman maybe gets a shot at that at some point here down the road, given the fact that both King and, and the previous number two, Riley McCarron, are both seniors. So, you know, the Hawkeyes may be looking for a little experience uh, to kind of help, you know, pave the, pave the way for the future as well there. Before we get your prediction, let's take a real quick look at the Big Ten. Last week, some pretty interesting results. Michigan struggled a little bit to beat Michigan State, which has really gone down the tubes this season. Ohio State eked out a close win over Northwestern, and Wisconsin with a huge win over Nebraska in overtime in Madison. This week, you've got some more pretty critical matchups. One of them, Nebraska at Ohio State, and of course, you have the Iowa-Penn State game. And then you have Wisconsin and Northwestern, which could be
be an interesting game for folks to watch as well. Yes, yeah, certainly. Uh, the the uh, Badgers have struggled to have success in Evanston, and, and you know, frankly, Pat Fitzgerald's team is playing pretty good football right now. You know, the Iowa game was kind of their launching pad after a real struggle-filled start to the season, and they're they're one of four teams uh, sitting at three and two in the West, all one game back at the Cornhuskers at four and one. It, uh, it's uh, shaping up to be a pretty interesting November. Now, whether or not one of these teams is capable of creating some separation in the standings, I'm not convinced of that. I think it, it's going to be one of those months that uh, we, we can see a lot of teams end up in some sort of tie for, for first when this thing is all said and done on Thanksgiving weekend. But uh, but you're right. Nebraska goes to Ohio State. But, uh, you know, the Buckeyes obviously have, have uh, struggled a little bit with uh, with Northwestern. Certainly at home last week didn't perform overly well. Urban Meyer wasn't very pleased with a lot of things. Uh, the Cornhuskers, uh, Mike Riley says, will be mad when they show up in Columbus based on uh, kind of, uh, you know, giving away a golden opportunity in Madison last weekend. Uh, you know, the, the Badgers left them with a little bit of an open door with uh, a missed PAT in overtime, and and uh, all. But uh, the Cornhuskers couldn't convert. And uh, uh, two interesting quarterbacks to watch in that game, obviously, in, in you know Tommy Armstrong and, and J T Barrett. So it's going to be uh, it's going to be an interesting day in Columbus, no question. Okay, back to Iowa, Penn State. This has been a real interesting series. It's been a close series. There have been some spectacular, thrilling finishes to games in this series. Uh, Kirk Ferentz has had a lot of success playing out at Pennsylvania, at Penn State. And for Penn State right now, they're sitting in second place in the Big Ten East. They hold the tiebreaker over Ohio State. They're one game behind Michigan. It's a big game for them. It's an informal whiteout. And yet, Iowa has historically had success there. So what are you thinking? Yeah, this is a very interesting matchup. Iowa has beaten Penn State in the last four times they've played them when the Nittany Lions have been ranked. Kirk Ferentz teams are 8-4 and four against uh, Penn State. Uh, and uh, uh, James Franklin has been pointing that out frequently this week. Uh, you know, I, he's well aware that Iowa has found ways to win against Penn State, particularly at Beaver Stadium. And yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting situation. I, I think strange things tend to happen in this series, whether it be that six to four game, uh, you know, a, in 2004, or, or the double overtime win that really was the first significant win of, uh, of the Ferentz era in 2000. I, I think it's, uh, I, you know, I think. It's it's a possibility for Iowa to go there and win. I, I, I this week I, I am going to go with uh, the Hawkeyes, 24 to 21. I don't know how they're going to get there, but uh, if they can show a little more uh, consistency in, in terms of the passing game, and if they can find a way to uh, you know limit the uh, the success that Penn State has on the perimeter, I think the Hawkeyes do have a chance to win this football game, and it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. <laughs> My kind of team, Charlie. It's my kind of team. I think that uh, Kurt Ferentz can take some positives from this game. This Iowa defense in particular played well. They got a fall to 5-3, and three, Iowa. All three losses coming here at Kinnick Stadium, which you would not expect. These guys get to run over and get that bull. Yeah. Bruiser the bull. Trophy time. The Heartland Trophy. Iowa had won six straight trophy rivalry games. That streak comes to an end here today as 10th-ranked Wisconsin defeats Iowa 17-9. Just a reminder, you can participate in our shows by offering your own comments and opinions on the Hawkeyes. The toll-free hotline is available 24 hours a day. Call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard.
Visit HawkeyesMike.com, go to the news and events section, and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. You can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes. And you can follow Hawkeyes Mike on Twitter, Tumblr, Medium, and Facebook. Our thanks again to ESPN for the game highlights this week, and special thanks to WSCR, the Cubs, MLB, and Fox Sports for the World Series Game 7 highlights. And thanks, as always, to Steve Batterson. We hope you've enjoyed this program. All Hawkeyes Mike podcasts are available and can be subscribed to on iTunes, Overcast, and other podcasting apps. HawkeyesMike.com, podcasting Iowa athletics for 10 seasons. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com, one pass many voices nice work everyone sharp broadcast really good everyone on the floor as well really a lot of hustle i liked it this has been a presentation of hawkeyes mike llc